You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Southside Baptist Church, located in Florence, South Carolina. We now have two services, a classic service at 8.30 and a modern service at 11 o'clock. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. We're going to start off in in Colossians 3.13, and this is what it reads here for us. It says, Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Let's pray. Father. So we dive into your word this morning. May we be reminded that we're called to forgive. And this can be a difficult thing for us to do, Lord. But I know through your Holy Spirit helping us, it's something that we can do. It's something that we can, that can help heal our souls. So God, I pray that we'll be a forgiving people and be reminded of how much you've forgiven us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So. Uh, January 4th, my wife and I will be married 20 years. And thinking back a little bit, when um, the first year of our marriage, I was a part-time youth pastor in a church called Rose Hill Baptist Church in Millard, Missouri. There was no roses there. And the uh, middle of nowhere, basically. But um, the pastor there was a woodworker and also made horse and cattle troughs. And I worked with him for a bit. But he had this house that his father had built that was right next to the college. And he said, hey, you and your wife can live there for free. And I liked that word free, being a poor college student. And it was about 600, maybe 700 square feet. It was small. And, um, and so... Uh, that first year of marriage and uh, being a youth pastor and uh, a lot of fun. And we had one night an overnighter. And at this overnighter, we had something messy going on. And I took this ring, I took this ring off and I put it in my shoe. And I would end up putting all that in the trunk of my wife's purple Kia Sophia. Mean machine, man. Purred like a kitten. Kind of, like a sick one. But anyway. I put it behind there, and the next day, I'm like, where did I put my ring at? And I'm looking for my ring. I can't find my wedding ring. And thinking my wife won't see it, right? Um, she eventually asked, where's your wedding ring? And I'm like, ah, you know, I think I lost it. Uh, I'm sure it'll pop up. Well, it didn't pop up. And so for like a month, every week, and it went on for like about two months, she kept asking, where, you find your wedding ring? Where's your wedding ring? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I don't how am I, I got to figure something out. Well, we had purchased our rings from the previous church from a guy who um, uh, was a diamond dealer that we met at the church and um, sang in the choir with him. And um, I know it sounds kind of suspicious, doesn't it? But we did. And I went to him and I said, um, hey, uh, by chance, could I buy the same ring that I had before? Because I lost it. And he's like, oh, absolutely. And it was like $100. I'm like, all right, I'm poor, but I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. Because like, i got to figure something out. And so um, I have to confess, I bought the ring, and I was like, honey, look what I found. Because I didn't want her to know I spent $100 on the ring. And so she's like, oh, this is great. Well, wouldn't you know, a week later, I'm cleaning out the trunk of the car, and I find this ring. I find, and I think to myself, sweet, I have a spare. 
And so like any good man, I take the spare, right? I put the real one on. I take the spare and I tape it in my sock and underwear drawer. And shouldn't be a problem. No reason a wife should look in a man's underwear drawer. Well, my wife had gotten braces off before we got married, and she had a retainer, and she lost a retainer. And in our 600-square-foot house, she decided she was going to look everywhere for her retainer, including my sock and underwear drawer. And I come home from work, and I come in. I could tell she's a little upset. I didn't know why. I'm still young. I'm still naive, right? This is year one of marriage. And she goes, what is this? And I said to her, that's my spare. She didn't think it was funny. And so um, it was an um, interesting time, your first year of marriage. So this is my real ring, or is it? But it is actually my real ring. I got rid of the other one. And, uh, but in marriage, in any relationship, the point of telling the story is there are times in which you're going to need to forgive in your marriage. You're going to need to forgive in a friendship. You may need to forgive a brother or a sibling or someone that you love, a mom or a dad, or someone who did you wrong. Now, losing a ring and lying about it, you shouldn't do, right? I mean, that's something like, oh, yeah, I could forgive my spouse for doing that. Yes, yes, and I'm glad you... But what about when someone, someone has had something so awful happen to them, and they wonder, is this person even worth a forgiving? Why should I forgive them? They have hurt me so deeply and so badly. Why would I forgive them? They abused me or they did this to me. Why would I forgive them? That person deserves this. And you're right. They deserve punishment. But what do you do when you've been hurt? You've been wounded so badly The thought of forgiving them just sounds like something impossible, something that you could never, ever do. And I realize that preaching on forgiveness is a hard sermon to preach because it's such an emotional topic. Those emotions come bubbling up and you get angry about what that person who did what they did to you and and, and so on and so forth. And you're ready to get revenge. Ready to get revenge. And we like as people, we like movies of revenge. We do. We feel like justice has been served. I get it. And today, I'm not saying in this message that the law shouldn't get involved or that you should put up with being a victim. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not the point of this message. What I am saying is that we have someone who wants to heal your hurt. He wants to heal your soul, and his name is Jesus. He knows what you're going through. He knows that's not the way it's supposed to be. He knows you've been wronged. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Will will you let Christ heal you? He wants to help you forgive. I remember when I was a youth pastor at a different church in Indiana, there was a man by the name of Jeff. And Jeff went through the RU program we had at our church, much like the one we have here in town down the road. And I was taking, I would give Jeff rides from time to time. He didn't have his license any longer and due to being an alcoholic. And as I was taking Jeff home, and we got talking about spiritual things, and he, I knew he was saved, he was coming to church, but we got talking about the Lord and getting to know him a little bit. And he said, you know, I've tried everything to stop drinking. 
It's been a struggle for me in this time. He was probably in his late 30s. He looked older, just lived a hard life. He said, I've tried everything. He said, but until I came here, until, until I realized that there were people in my life I needed to forgive, I couldn't stop drinking. And at the time, he'd been sober about a year. He said, I always wanted to run right back to it to cover the hurt and the pain. And oftentimes, that's why people have something they run to. It could be food. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. There's some kind of hurt in their life. They're trying to cover up. And oftentimes, oftentimes, it has to do with this word forgiveness. There's someone they need to forgive. And for Jeff, it was a parent. For Jeff, it also was an ex-spouse. And until he forgave them, he wasn't able to heal. He wasn't able to move on. So why, why should I forgive? Here's five reasons why we should forgive, and we'll talk a little more about this. But first and foremost is the, Bible's, the Bible says so. I mean, it's as simple as that. I had a professor in Bible college named James Sewell, Dr. James Sewell. He always would ask this question. When we have a question, we should ask this question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does God say about this issue? And there's some things God in his word says, you should do this. And there's some things that the Bible says, you should not do this. And as simple as we can make it. Why should we forgive? Why should we do something uh, that, um, that we know that is right or wrong? Because simply the Bible says so. It's as simple as that. You ever, when you were a kid, or maybe even now you're a kid, and your, your dad or your mother told you to do something, and you go, why? And they say, because I said so. <laughs> we don't always like that answer. But God loves you. He loves me. And when he says something, it's not to hurt us. It's to help us. And in this case, it's to heal our hearts. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, this is what it reads. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. So we see here, we see in this passage, we'll see a positive command and we'll see a negative command. And it says, bless those who persecute you. And this is the theme of this entire passage. To bless someone literally means to wish them well, to desire God's favor upon them. By contrast, to curse means to pray against or to call down, to wish disaster or failure or misfortune. And this, command, this, this passage commands that we do the opposite. And let's just be honest. Like, part of us wants to see, like, God's wrath just rain down upon the enemies in which we have when they've done us wrong. In this passage, we see, one, that's not your job. Now, it doesn't say wrath won't come. Or that vengeance won't happen. In fact, God simply says in this passage that, as we'll read on here in just a moment, that it's his job to give the revenge. There's some things you need to give over to God. Don't take God's job. God will take care of it. We live in a crooked world. We live in a fallen world. And sometimes bad, awful, evil things happen to good people. And you may wonder, God, why did that happen? 
We live in an evil world. But though, rest assured, God will right all the wrongs. Maybe in your lifetime, maybe, on the, uh, maybe it'll be later on in heaven, but he will right the wrongs. And so how does this command to bless overcome evil? And why should I even consider it? Well, the Bible says so. There was a rabbi, the rabbi considered to be the greatest teacher of all time, and said this to his followers who were being persecuted by the Roman government as well as the religious leaders of that time. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. They're around him. He's talking to them. They're not being treated right. The government's against them, right? The religious leaders are against them. And he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For, I don't have it memorized. Next verse, please. (laughs) For For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you have more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your heavenly father. Your father in heaven is perfect. The perfect meaning to be complete. And that's what God's doing in our life. He's making us complete. He's making us more like Jesus. And so we see what credit is it to us if we just love the people who are lovable? But what about the ones who are not? And that's what Jesus is saying. I want you to love your enemies. I want you, the Gamecock fans, to love the Clemson fans. The Clemson fans love the Gamecock fans. The West Florence, South Florence, like, I mean, or I'm just teasing a little bit there. But there's people really that may be our enemies. And God says, don't look for revenge. I want you to love them. And that can be hard. Because the heart and the emotions say, get them, revenge, get them back. But a sign of your Christian maturity and growing in Christ is going, I want to be more like Jesus. I'm going to love my enemies. And that's what it's saying here. And notice the word tax collector. Like, what's the big deal about tax collector? I know no one likes the IRS, but the tax collectors of that day were Jewish people working from the Roman government who were overcharging on taxes and they were getting rich. And the Jewish people hated their own Jewish people who were tax collectors doing that. Matthew was one of them. And they hated him. And you could see why. Jesus says, love them. Forgive them. And so the Apostle Paul was just simply applying what the church in Rome and the church in Rome had heard from Jesus here in Matthew. So how do we really bless our enemies? And to be honest, this is where we oftentimes get stuck. <laughs> I don't want to be around them. I don't want to see them. And we confuse the feeling of forgiving with the action of forgiving someone. We unwisely and wrongly believe that to forgive someone is to let them off the hook. And therefore, justice will never be served. I've heard it said by other pastors, someone has pointed out, that those who refuse to forgive are like drinking the poison of their own vengeance, hoping that it will make the other person sick. 
And when you hold on to how someone has wronged you, you're allowing that person in that situation to hurt you over and over and over and over again and again. And that person may have already forgotten about it or doesn't even, or rarely even thinks about it, but it's hurting you over and over again. And bitterness takes root and man, hatred builds up and it acts like a cancer to our soul. I'm not saying don't get angry about it. In fact, the Bible says be angry and sin not. But what do we do with that anger? What do we do with it? When we refuse to forgive a person, the one we're only hurting is ourselves. So why should I forgive? Because Christ has forgiven us. This is verse 17. It says, never pay back evil for more evil. So man, someone has done something evil to you. And you're looking, I'm going to get them back by doing evil back to them. Listen, that is not the way of the cross. That is not the way we live as believers. And I know the flesh part of you wants to get them back. That's God's job. Your job is to do the opposite. It's a preacher, I don't know if I like this message. I don't like it much either. But it will heal your heart. It'll heal. It'll heal your soul. You see, and here we see a negative command. It says, so never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear brothers, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will, not maybe, not possibly, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Says the Lord. He said, I don't know if that's really true. I've seen this. I've seen this. I had someone that married into our family years ago that beat up one of our relatives, left them for dead. And every part of me, every part of me wanted to get revenge in the worst way possible. I'm reading this verse, and I'm like, God, my emotions don't match up with this verse. I don't like this verse. God, how can this be? But I saw it happen. And I refrained from taking revenge. And if you knew the whole story, you'd be like, I don't blame you. Age 30, boom, heart attack, gone, dead. I saw it happen firsthand. And scripture says, don't rejoice in it. But part of me was like, God, thank you. You saved me from doing something awful. And maybe that's you. There's things that cross your mind. You're like, they would deserve. Give some things to the Lord. Forgive that person and move on. It will heal your heart. Ephesians tells us, Ephesians 4, 32, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. We're told multiple times, especially within a church body, to forgive one another, to help one another, and uh, be tenderhearted with one another. And I've seen this in many different churches. Satan loves to try to find a foothold in any church 
to cause disunity. To cause different people not to like each other or hate one another and not be helpful of one another and not do their part in the church thinking I'm just going to do my own thing and forget them. They don't listen. Satan loves, and that's part of his devices, he loves to get other Christians angry at other Christians. That's what he loves to do. And so in church, man, forgive one another. You know, it's been said uh, that, hey, if you've never been hurt in church, it probably means this. It probably, either you haven't been there very long or you've never been involved. Mm. But ultimately, when you serve in church, you serve because you love Jesus. You do it for Jesus. And yes, you get to love the other people around you. But sometimes, because people aren't perfect and we live in a fallen world, sometimes you can easily get offended. And you got to ask yourself when that happens, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it for him? Is it for her? Is it for this person? Is it for that? My first reason should always be because I love Jesus. I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm doing it for him. So why should we forgive? Because bitterness will take root. Not possibly, it will take root in your life. And we see this. And so we must learn to let go of the hurts and the pains of the past. Don't let bitterness take root in your life. And maybe something has happened to you when you were younger, you were mistreated, you were taken advantage of, and you have good reason to be angry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to have the law get involved in certain things that should not happen. That's okay. But man, it, it can easily, that anger can turn into bitterness and it can take root in our lives. And this comes from scripture. It says this in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Looking carefully... Least anyone fall short of the grace of God. Least any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. It's a warning in Scripture to Christians of li- Christians: look carefully, be aware that there's a bitter root in your life. A bitter root grows. It's underground. It's not seen. But if something there's roots underground, there's something up above, and a bitter root will produce bitter fruit. You ever see somebody, man, why are they so angry all the time? Why are they so bitter? There's something they're holding on to. Something they've allowed to fester and to grow. And it keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And it just kind of spreads. And by this, many become defiled. And so... We should have the same mindset of what King David had when he said to the Lord, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Nothing wrong with your emotions. Nothing wrong with getting upset about something. God gave you emotions. But what do we do with those emotions? You see, our emotions, our heart, can easily lead us astray. And I know you've probably had someone say this to you. Maybe you saw it on Instagram or some social media site. Uh, Maybe you had a relative say to you, just follow your heart. My friend, I'm here to tell you the Bible says the opposite. It says it's dangerous to follow your heart. In other words, it's dangerous just to always follow your emotions. You're in danger. And listen, I had relatives give me that advice. Lucas, just follow your heart. And you know what? That's the dumbest advice you can get. It is, and maybe you've given it. 
Don't give it. I'm not saying ignore your emotions. God gave us our emotions. But when it's always follow your heart, man, it's going to lead you astray. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And we need the Lord to guide us and to lead us. We can easily, if we follow our heart, man, we can let it grow bitterness and it comes out in our life. Why should we forgive? We Satan take advantage and he watches. We have an enemy who watches us, who studies us. He's had a lot of practice on mankind. He knows what bait to throw out there. He knows how to get people. He knows how to get people entangled up in messes. And man, if you think you don't have an enemy, man, you haven't been paying attention. And so scripture says, 2 Corinthians, now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that the one of your sakes in the presence of Christ, we Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So Satan is looking to take advantage. And this is what he does. That's one of his devices. He wants to get other Christians angry at other Christians. He doesn't want you to have a spirit of forgiveness. He doesn't want you to forgive. He wants to throw into your mind that you can never forgive that person. You can never move past that ever. And he loves to throw these lies. He loves to take the truth that is in your life and replace it with a lie. Thinking you could never move on. You'll never get over that. You should hate them forever. And what happens? What happens is you get entangled. And you feel like you can't move. You feel like you're in your own personal prison. And you're not sure what to do with this hatred that's in your heart. It's said that forgiveness is like setting a prisoner free. Only to realize you were the prisoner. We are alive because Christ lives in us. And Satan knows that if we have an unforgiveness in our heart, it will, it will grow, it will cause a bitter root. It will continue to grow. You see, the enemy, he wants to snatch this idea, this word of forgiveness from you. He doesn't want you to do it. He wants you to think that you were violated in such a gross, unpardonable way that this cannot possibly apply to you. That forgiveness is just for those catastrophic, catastrophic circumstances in your life and well, that's true. That's part of it. It's not all of it. There's times in which even the small things, and maybe you've led a pretty sheltered, blessed life. You think everything is perfect, but deep in your heart, you know that God has something he wants you to address. Maybe you've been gossiping about somebody. Maybe you've been giving someone the cold shoulder to a per- certain person. Uh, it, you know, it could be a family member. It could be a church member. I don't know what it could be for you. But even the small things, we like to look at just the big things. But what is it, even in the small things, when you let the Holy Spirit shine his light and deal with you and shine that light into your heart and your soul, you know what it is. There's a man by the name of Rudy Tomjanovich. He's been an NBA coach. In fact, he coached the Houston Rockets to their back-to-back championships in the 90s. He also was a player. He was a player, and he played for the Houston Rockets. And in fact, in 1973, as when he was 25 years old, in the middle of a close game, 
A fight broke out in center court, and Rudy rushed over, and a player whipped around without really looking and hit Rudy in the face. Now, Rudy's a big man. He's probably 6'10". Hit him so hard, it fractured his skull, broke his jaw and his eye socket, and about killed him. And if you've seen the video, the video's out there. It's been around for many years. It's brutal. You can hear the crack. It's awful. And um, he was sidelined for, I think, the rest of that, that season. It really affected him in his life. One day after he was back on the court, a reporter asked him, Rudy, have you ever forgiven that player and what he did to you? And without hesitation, Rudy said, absolutely. I have forgiven him. The reporter shook his head as though he was perplexed. Come on, Rudy. That guy nearly killed you. He stole part of your career. Do you mean to tell me that you don't have any anger, hatred, or bitterness towards him at all? And Rudy smiled and said, no, not at all. The reporter finally asked Rudy, how did you do that? How could you possibly forgive that man who hurt you so badly? And Rudy replied, I knew if I wanted to move on with my life, I had to let it go. This is his quote. I didn't do it for him. I did it for me. I did it so I could be free. Do you want to be free? Scripture tells us you need to forgive. Do you want Christ to heal you? Do you want him to heal your soul? Do you want to stop running to food, alcohol, porn, whatever else it is in your life to cover up that hurt and that pain that is in your life? Whatever sin you're running to, all it's going to do is entangle you more and more and more. So why should I forgive? So forgiveness will be shown to you. Jesus said this, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Christian, there's going to come a time in your life because you're human, because you're not perfect, you're going to need someone, you need to ask someone to forgive you. And if you have a person who has a forgiving spirit and is forgiving others, grace and mercy and forgiveness, it'll be shown to you. Too many people are looking for an alternative to forgiveness. Sometimes we just simply need to be the one who extends the olive branch. Restoration may never be possible in your circumstance. Restoration is a two-way street. It involves two people deciding to make things right. That's not always possible, but forgiveness in your heart, your heart being prepped to do so, can. There was a man, and I give this advice often, there's someone I need to forgive and they're dead it's oftentimes a parent be a mom or a dad I don't know how to move on I don't know how to forgive them man they struggle hard with it one man that I sat across from in Florida at a restaurant this grown man just bawling his eyes out 
The anger had built up. It was affecting his marriage. It was affecting his relationship with his children. It was affecting everyone around him. When he was a kid, his mother, mother committed suicide. He didn't know how to get past it. As we were sitting there, I said, hey, I want you to try something. I want you to write her a letter to her. I know she can't read it. You can take it to her grave site, read it to her if you want. You can read it out loud in the field, whatever you want to do. But in that letter, I want you to forgive her. You can burn that letter. You can keep that letter. You can do whatever you want with it. But you need to end up forgiving her and taking those emotions here and putting it on paper. There's something spiritual about it. And he did. And maybe that's something you need to do. Who do you need to forgive? Some of you right now are thinking, I'm still too angry. Or I've tried that. And I'll end with this, because on your notes, if you've got your sermon notes, there's stages of forgiveness that we go through. And the first stage is the stage to forgive is a choice, the act of our will. And this is when we say we've forgiven them, but every time we think about it, we still get angry. We're ready to fight, man. And we think to ourselves, I must not be a good Christian. I say I'm forgiving them, but I still get angry about it. No, it's normal. Eventually you move on to the second stage. Sometimes the second stage takes weeks. Sometimes it takes years. But it's where forgiving is a process whereby your choice to forgive begins over time to align with your emotions. We say it with our mouth, but eventually our heart starts to catch up. And when we think about the circumstance or that person or the situation, we don't, we don't get as angry about it any longer. The third stage is a stage where we really have forgiven them. In fact, the Spirit of God aligns your choice to obey God and forgiving with the emotion, emotional experience of feeling joy when blessings occur in that person's life. It goes from our mouth to our heart to our actions. It's a process. I don't know where you're at in that process, but I know this. You've got to take that first step. And I would hate to end this message without telling you about how much God loves you and wants to forgive you. You see, God the Father is a holy God. God is holy. He is perfect. And He will judge sin. We all will stand before Him one day. He will judge sin. And because he's holy and he's righteous, he will judge sin accordingly to his law. <coughs> and we will get our punishment. God knowing this, the triune God of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son stepped down from his throne on high, was born in a manger about 2,000 years ago, and dwelt among us. That he who knew no sin willingly went to the cross to die for our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him and all who repent of their sins 
He will save and he will change. And unless you give your life to Christ, unless you uh, put your faith and trust and belief in him and ask for the forgiveness of your sins, you will experience the wrath of God because he is holy and he desires to save you. He desires to change you. That's what Christmas is all about. At the end of the day, this is what this is all about. So as we go into an attitude of prayer, Christian, is there someone you need to forgive? Say, Pastor Luke, is there someone I need to forgive and I need to start that process? I need to make a phone call, I need to shoot a text, or I need to write a letter, but I, I know the Holy Spirit's dealing with me right now. Preacher, pray for me. Just pray for me. Just raise your hand high in the air. Say, Pastor Luke, pray for me. I see that hand. See that hand. Amen. God sees it praying and thinking of you. So Pastor Lucas, I, I came here this morning and I don't know Christ as my Savior. I have never asked Christ to forgive me of my sins. I've never put my belief and trust in Him, but I'd like to this morning. So Pastor, I want to do that. If that's you, pray with me. Pray, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you, to forgive me. I'm asking you to save me. If you prayed that for the first time and you're giving your life to Christ, will you raise your hand high in the air? Pastor Lucas, I'm giving my life to Christ. I'm not ashamed of Christ. I want, I want to show my appreciation to him. I'm not going to point you out or anything like that, but we raise your hand so we want to pray for you. God, we love you. We're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful that you forgive us. May we show and extend forgiveness to other people that our hearts, our lives might be healed. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said...